0: wonderful so today we're starting a brand new series called the cornerstone core in which we're looking at our core values so we just wrapped up a series on our vision and mission called welcome to cornerstone just telling you who we're about and our vision at cornerstone is a gospel-centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of jesus christ in word and deed that's really what we want to accomplish that's what we want to become Uh, And how we do that is our mission, which is to make mature and multiply followers of Jesus. But our core values are really our DNA. They're kind of the everyday things that we want to be marked by. Uh, We want to experience them every time we gather, every time that uh, we do ministry together. And so we're looking at one of our core values. We have six. They're not arranged in any sort of specific order. Uh, But this week, we're looking at community, which is a great week to look at community uh, because of the Lord's table. The core value itself is community. We gather together to worship God and welcome new friends. And Acts 2 is a wonderful chapter to look at this from. So let me pray for us, and we will get started. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and be in this place. I, I already sense you. I already sense that you're here, God. We ask that you would also fill this moment, the preaching of your word, and that people would uh, hear from you uh, through the things that I have to say uh, from the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to begin by sharing two stories with you of community. One story is an example of great community, of a wonderful time building relationships, and the other one is not. It's of a time of lacking community. So I have kind of a, a story of wilderness community experience and kind of the Garden of Eden in my own personal life. So we'll start with the lack of community because it's always interesting to focus on the negative. So when I was 17, my, I, had, I had four really good friends, guy friends, and we hung out all the time, enjoyed each other's company, and did things that we shouldn't have done like any teenage boy. And then one day, we got caught. And we all confessed, but I confessed first. And that kind of forced the other ones to confess, and they didn't really like that. And so through this experience, when I was 17, I actually lost all four of those friends. Uh, They stopped being my friends entirely, which was heartbreaking and sad, and especially because it lasted for about two years, I really didn't have, like, a good guy friend. I still had some friends in the community, some acquaintances. And my primary place of social interaction actually became online gaming, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it was not face-to-face. It wasn't real personal interaction. And so this was kind of my barren wilderness. I felt so alone during this period. A few years later... I graduated from Colorado State University, and I moved out to uh, Falls Church, Virginia, where I didn't know anyone. But I joined a church. I began to help co-lead a a small group for for guys, and I began to do a game night, inviting people over to my house to play games. And our small group grew from about four to about 10 or 12 guys, which is really quite a a big small group. And our game night grew from roughly four to about 65, Uh, so it went really well, and the numbers are always nice, but what what was really kind of important to me uh, was as I left that community to go to seminary, they threw me a party, a going-away party. Uh, In this period of my life, I had a mustache, and they made me play pin the mustache to my own face, so you know someone loves you when they make you do that. So these were kind of my two periods of dryness and then a fullness, of experiencing rich community and not really experiencing community or relationships at all. So my question to you is, where are you? Which one of these stories is your story right now? Are you in the barren wilderness where you really don't have very many good friends, where you don't have filling and, and kind of strong relationships? Are you looking for that? or maybe maybe you're in a period in your life where you're saying I have good community and I'm experiencing strong and lasting relationships either way no matter where you're at we can always experience more community rich community it doesn't have to be just Facebook community or Snapchat or whatever it is these days you can experience community right here at church acts 2 42 through 47 tells us that God gives us the church as a place that we can make relationships, that we can build long-lasting friendships, that we can build real community, so that none of us have to walk through the wilderness of loneliness. So how do we, as a church, begin to cultivate this community? And if you're new to this church, this is your first time, or you're getting connected, you're coming back, how can you take part in this community? What does the Bible tell us about how we begin to form something solid, something real. Well, Christian community begins by loving God. This is our starting point for how to build community. It's not necessarily focusing on each other first. It's actually focusing on God. Acts 2 Verse 42 and 43 say, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So we love God three ways in this passage. Through teaching, through uh, prayer, and through worship. These are three ways that we focus our attention on God and show him that we love him. So we love God through teaching. What exactly do we teach? Well, at Cornerstone and, and at, at many, many churches all around the world, we teach Christ. And that's what we see reflected in this passage with the, with the early believers. They were teaching Christ. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, if you were to read, uh, context is always key in the Bible. If you were to read the passage right before ours, you know, the, the first part of chapter 2, you would see an example of the apostles' teaching. Uh, the apostle Peter was one who followed Jesus through his life. He was a disciple of Jesus. He learned directly from Jesus. And here in Acts chapter 2, he preaches a message about Jesus. And he, and, he, and he goes back to the Old Testament books of Joel and the Old Testament book of Psalm and, uh, Psalms, and he, and he points to places in these books where it's, it's pointing all to Jesus. It's all pointing forward to Christ. And what it was the message that Peter preached? He preached this message. He preached that Jesus came doing wonders and signs, but people rejected him. People didn't believe. Instead, wicked men put this Jesus on a cross. They, they crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Now, Jesus rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus is alive, he's reigning, he's in charge of everything. And Peter preached this message to those people that would have been involved in the actual crucifixion, that would have seen the crucifixion. And you know what the Bible says? It says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter, what shall we do? And he says, repent, confess. Jesus gives you forgiveness. Just turn to him and say, Lord, we blew it, and we put our faith in that risen Lord. We put our faith in Jesus. And amazingly, about 3,000 do. 3,000 people decided to follow Christ, became believers. Now, the people ignored the wonders and the signs that Jesus performed, but for some reason the Holy Spirit opened their hearts so that they paid attention to Peter's signs and wonders. We see that in verse 43. And why does God give signs and wonders in the New Testament church? Perhaps not ours today, but why does he give signs and wonders? Well, it's not only to prove that the message they preached is true, it's to prove that that the Old Testament is about Jesus, because that would have been something very challenging to the culture that he was giving this message to. See, we actually form community in the early church and in this church around a person. We We don't form community in this church around me or around anyone on this worship team or any of the leadership. We form community around Christ around Jesus, and this is actually not a a very uncommon thing. If any of you went through middle school or high school, you know that community forms around people. They're called the cool kids. (laughs) Maybe some of you have formed community uh, called fan groups around your favorite musicians, Billy Joel, Taylor Swift. Maybe you formed community as a voter base around a politician because you believe in what they stand for and the message that they're, they're speaking. Two weeks ago in Westford, uh, the community actually formed community uh, around a young boy that passed away 10 months ago. There was a kind of a, a remembrance at the, the, um, the Westford High School, Westford Academy, uh, around a boy that died tragically in a skiing accident. So we we form community around people that are living, that have passed. But here in the church, we form community around one who didn't come as a politician, but came humbly, came to serve others, and came willing to die so that we can live, so that we can know Christ. We form community as we Love God through teaching, but also through prayer and worship. We see this in the passage in verse 42 where it talks about uh, pray, uh, that they were praying together. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to prayer. And then if you jump ahead to verse 46, it says they were praising God. You've already heard prayer here tonight. You've already heard some wonderful praise music. They were doing the same sort of thing, probably without the electric guitar. They were gathering together to pray and worship God. And prayer and worship are like fraternal twins. They look different on the outside, but they both come from the same place. See, in prayer, we approach God and we say, you know, God, we're thankful for you. Uh, Here's all the ways that you are wonderful, God. Uh, Here's some requests on my behalf, on the behalf of others. And in worship, we approach God and we say, how wonderful God is and how amazing God is. And we ask the Holy Spirit and God to be present In our church, which is asking for a wonderful thing for ourselves and for others. Worship is kind of like praying corporately. Both dependent prayer and joyful worship come from a heart attitude that loves and needs God. We form community by loving God. How do we love God? Through teaching, through prayer, and through worship. But Christian community also grows another way. It grows by loving each other. See, that's an important part of what it means to be a church. Verses 44 and 45 say this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, Christian community grows by loving one another, by loving each other. Now, our passage talks about loving each other uh, three ways, through fellowship, through food, and through giving. Now, we love each other through fellowship. Looking at verse 42. The word fellowship is in there. It's kind of an alien term. I don't really use fellowship very often in kind of the greater world, in the outside world, outside of church. We talk about, like, teaching fellowships. Uh, Perhaps you define fellowship with a hobbit, uh, a ranger, an elf, and uh, uh, some characters from the Lord of the Rings. Yes, I've mentioned the Lord of the Rings three out of five sermons now. (laughs) The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. And this means communion, koinonia. You can even hear it, communion. But it also means participation. If I were to add one up there, I would say participation. It kind of goes in in line with the idea of presence. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul uses this word koinonia. So this word koinonia is used in a book of the Bible, where Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, but he's also talking about Idols and feasts offered to idols. See, uh, in in Paul's time, people would gather together to to eat food and to worship their sacred deities. So they would uh, do something similar to what we did tonight, but before an idol, before an image, and they would worship that image. And Paul is kind of redefining it and saying, "No, we're going to worship Christ." The Christ redefined it. So we're going to gather together and worship God through the Lord's Supper. And notice, something spiritual is really taking place during the Lord's Supper. It's not that these elements are transforming into the, the actual body and blood of Jesus, but somehow in the early church, those new believers are being affected spiritually. And those people that are going into idols and worshiping them in, in feasts, they're being affected spiritually in a, really real, uh, in a, in a real way as well they're worshiping demons. And so this word for fellowship is used as a word for participation. That when we fellowship together, we're participating spiritually with each other. That it's more than just gathering together like a social club, that something spiritual is taking place. So, how do we fellowship? How do we direct our mind to, to what is spiritual? Well, we pray for each other, we gather together, uh, we repent of our sins together, we talk about God. These are all ways that we can kind of commune spiritually. And then when we come here on a Saturday evening and, and worship God, now, I think the word fellowship is really summed up in the word, uh, kind of the, the phrase spiritual friendship. Maybe some of you have heard the term, the phrase, spiritual friendship. As I prepared the, this week, I learned kind of the, the history behind that phrase. Uh, a monk, in, an English monk in the 1100s coined this phrase when he wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship. His name was Elred. I cannot pronounce his last name or kind of hit where he was from, the, the, the abbot. Uh, But Elred uh, coined a book on spiritual friendship that really said spiritual friendship is about loving God and loving each other. And it's about giving sacrificially. It's about having dialogue and exchange. And not just taking selfishly from someone, but giving yourself to them as well. See, As we experience spiritual friendship, we experience God's love, that when a brother or sister in Christ approaches you and prays for you and gives you a hug in some way, you're experiencing the love of God. Now, there are several religious organizations that took Elrod and made him their patron saint of homosexuality. Now, culture tells us that in order, sometimes culture tells us that in order to make friendship deep, and true and lasting, you need to add sexuality. And the scriptures give us a different story. It says you don't need to add sexuality to make friendship better. You need to add citizenship. See, Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. You ever had that experience where maybe you're in a taxi and your taxi driver from the other side of the world, but he's a Christian. And instantly you can talk about the things of God. It's because you have the same homeland. It's because you have the same citizenship in heaven. Christian community grows by loving each other. And we also do this through fellowship, uh, through food, and through giving. Uh, An example of the food is the breaking of bread in verse 42 and 46. This is probably referring to the Lord's Supper, but a little differently than we celebrated it here tonight. It would have been in their homes. It could also just refer to eating a meal together. It doesn't really say specifically. If you want to get to know someone, invite them over to your house for dinner. This is like a very practical application point from tonight's sermon. Uh, If you want to have a fellowship, invite people from church over to eat with you. Uh, And I'd encourage you to invite them. Don't wait to be invited because we live in New England. (laughs) So go home and fatten your friendship with food. Now, not only do these early Christians feed each other, they also give to each other. Now, it says they were selling their possessions, their valuables. This is not Christian communism because it says they actually owned their possessions. These were their things that they were giving away. No one forced them, kind of due to a political body, to give their possessions away. They did it willingly. But just because they did it willingly doesn't mean it didn't hurt, that it wasn't painful. And see, this really gets down to what the heart of Christian community is. See, the core of Christian community is costly love. The core of Christian community is costly love. 46 and 47 tell us this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The core of Christian community is costly love. The believers were willing to give their finances, their energy, and their time. We're just in threes tonight. Can you imagine selling like a piece of your property or uh, your home to help out someone that's going through a hard time? I can't imagine that. We just bought our house uh, a year ago last summer and it's, it's like my most presu- uh, prized possession. Uh, I can't imagine doing that. But it says they were willing to, to sell those things that were most valuable to them in order to take care of those that were going through a hard time. This is amazing. This is costly love. The NIV says they continued to meet together in their homes, but a better way of translating this is they were devoting themselves to meeting together. Uh, Devoting really speaks to expending energy, expending effort. The word uh, devoting to means to persevere in some activity like a loyal soldier to persevere in some activity like a loyal soldier. They were expending their strength and their energy on loving and caring for each other. But I don't think that was even their their hardest thing that they had to do. See, they were giving each other time. Verse 46 says they were meeting together every day or day by day. I can't even imagine seeing all of you every single day. I see my wife every day. But that's how much they loved each other. They were willing to to give those most valuable moments of their week to each other. Sometimes I watch a show called Shark Tank, and one of the investors on there, so it's like a venture capitalist investing kind of show, and one of the, the investors, Mark Cuban, he often says, the most valuable commodity I have is my time. and He often uses that as an excuse not to spend time on someone, not to invest in them, because He won't get a return of investment back. See, we as a Christian community don't operate that way. We give each other our time with no expectation that we are going to get richer, that we are going to get more powerful, that we're going to achieve more just because we know each other. We give each other our time because we love each other. The core of Christian community is costly love. Now, this type of love is both public and personal. Notice where they meet together. It says, the believers gathered in their homes, but also in the temple. See, these are both personal and public spaces. And our our modern-day equivalent is kind of like gathering at church and then gathering in a small group during the week. Uh, but that's not a, a straight one-to-one equivalent because their temple was more than just like uh, a place for worshiping God. See, it was kind of the political, religious, economic center of the city. In the outer court, uh, they, would, they had a market where they would sell things and, and Gentiles could come in and, and, and barter. And that's what Jesus uh, kind of threw out uh, when he went and cleansed the temple. So they were meeting in a public place. And worshiping God, They were preaching the gospel. Their, their church services had this kind of heavy emphasis on evangelism because there were people there that didn't believe. If, if we were to do that as a church, we would have to meet uh, up at the town hall one week, maybe on the town center, the common, another week. We'd have to go and uh, set up our worship uh, band in the middle of Market Basket. I don't see us doing that anytime soon. But that's kind of what we would have to do. And this cost them. Our, our passage does say that they had favor with everyone. This means they had favor with a great deal of people. But not necessarily with like all the religious and uh, political leaders. Because the, the early Christian church suffered for Jesus. And one of the reasons that they were selling their property and their possessions is because that the early church in Jerusalem was destitute because the culture was persecuting them, was denying them basic uh, you know, bartering and things like that. They were, they were hurting them financially. And so we see uh, great love expressed here. Even in the midst of hardship, people are willing to sacrifice for each other. See, the core of Christian community is costly love. Are you starting to see how expensive and yet beautiful Christian community is? It's not cheap. Marriage is a parable for the type of community we can have in Christ. In a healthy marriage, intimacy is not forced, it's desired. In a healthy Christian community... Intimacy is not forest. It's something that we want. We want to get to know each other. In a healthy marriage, you spend time talking and hearing each other's fears and desires, your struggles. We want to do that same thing here in this community. In a healthy marriage, you share your finances and make no plans to end the relationship. In a healthy Christian community, you sacrifice for those you care about. One of the reasons we give tithes and offerings is a way not only of providing for the church, but it's a way of providing for each other, for this community. In a healthy marriage, you think of ways to surprise and care for your partner, your spouse. And in a healthy Christian community, we should be looking for ways to encourage one another as well. In a healthy Christian marriage, you know that your husband or your wife will care for you no matter the cost. And that's what we seek as a Christian community. The core of Christian community is costly love. So why should we give up so much for each other? Why should we give away our time and our energy and our strength and our finances and our reputation? Well, it's because Christ is the greatest example of giving up everything for us. The Bible teaches us that God is a trinity. So that's kind of a, a big theological word, trinity, that we believe in a triune God. That means one God in three persons, blessed trinity. Uh, and, and what the trinity tells us is that there, so there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They each have their own mind, their own will. They love each other. They care for each other but they do so at a level that we don't understand because they have loved and cared for each other God has uh, the father has loved the son and cared for him for all eternity all eternity past so you're thinking you know 4 billion years go even farther trillion years keep going because God has loved Christ the father has loved the son forever perfectly never once hindered by sin we don't understand what that's like because all of our relationships are hurt by sin and the holy spirit mediates that love you know what jesus did at the cross that relationship that had been perfect forever was broken think about that for a moment jesus had a perfect relationship with his father and he experienced a broken relationship So that you and I don't have to. See, at the cross, Jesus addressed his father in a new way. When all of our sin was piled upon Christ, was stacked up on him, the father looked at Jesus and hated him. I don't know what's more painful. I know what is more painful. When you have someone that loves you and cares about you, and they turn their back on you. Jesus, at the cross... Throughout all of his ministry, he had addressed the Father as my Father, my Father. And at the cross, for the very first time and the last time, Jesus addressed God as my God, my God. Because he no longer had that loving relationship with the Father. Jesus experienced the hatred of the Father. He had only known pure and holy love. And he experienced hatred So that you and I never have to. See, this is the gospel. This is the good news. That if you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you don't have to experience the hatred of the Father because Jesus experienced it on your behalf. That he went to the cross so that you can have a perfect relationship with God. So that that, that relationship that Jesus knew and loved for all eternity past can become yours for all eternity going forward. So that we can participate, so we can have community, so that we can have koinonia fellowship with God. Now you can know without a doubt that God loves you and that he cares for you. Christ's death makes it possible for you to experience eternal community with God. So the question is... Are you living in the community Christ has purchased for you? Maybe you don't know Christ yet. Maybe you haven't put your faith in him. I invite you, begin to know that relationship with the Father today. Begin to know that peace that only uh, a sin-free relationship with God can provide. Are you living in 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 the everlasting community Christ has won for you? Or are you living as if you don't have a perfect relationship with the Father? See, we live in the community that Christ has purchased for us when we approach God with joy and not with regret. We live in the community Christ has purchased for us when we know God loves and cares for us. We live in the community that Christ has purchased for us when we form spiritual friendships with other believers, even when it puts us at emotional risk. We live in the community Christ has purchased for us when we don't separate ourselves from Christian community. We live in the community Christ has purchased for us when we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when it hurts. The core of Christian community is costly love. Now Luke ends our passage, verse 47, by writing, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, loving each other is important. It's important to have an attitude that cares for each other. I think God honors an attitude of loving and caring community. We can't force church growth. Uh, Notice these early believers didn't focus on, uh, on church growth, on growing their numbers. They focused on loving God and loving each other's, and God honored that. And Luke holds this church up as an example to us, but he does not tell us it was a perfect church. Take great comfort in that, because as you and I love each other, and as we care for each other, we are going to blow it. We are going to hurt each other. I've already done it so many times. But Christ paid for all of our sins on the cross. He has made possible a perfect relationship with the Father, In a really good relationship with each other this side of eternity. The core of Christian community is costly love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son to die so that we can experience grace, so that we can experience your love just like Jesus experiences your love. You bless our offering as we give to you and as we give to each other.